Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We have got a great show today. I've got the lady that everybody wants to talk to. I've got Tamara Blankenship, and she's a relationship communication specialist, and she helps thousands of people unlock the fears and the pain and discomfort through the art of neutral communication. Sometimes when we communicate, we aren't clear on how to approach the issues or what we're really feeling. Good communications will help keep those relationships in a healthy, constructive pattern. So she has, Tamara has a unique approach to truth, transparency, and support. And that gives men and women the ability to have the courage to be vulnerable without attachment. It allows them to work through and practice what it takes to be present and intentional with communications. Sometimes she can help with unique adjustments to the mindset. And that gets that thought out of our head that, you know, that that uncomfortable, it's just the way it is, and helps everybody to understand that they have the ability and the gift to communicate. Tamara, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, Lee, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be here. Well, you know, these in today's days with all the, the election, the political anxiety that we have oh, going yeah. on, it's just getting harder and harder to to talk about people openly and honestly. And I True. think that I see just you know, people that normally communicate well, even that communication being stretched a little. So. Yes. What do you see with the clients you're working with? Oh, you're so accurate in saying that. Yes, um, I'm watching some of my more proficient clients, even in business, who are struggling to be able to be less emotionally invested when it comes to their communication. Um, You know, a lot of us get really pinged when someone is not agreeing or hearing what we're saying. It's starting to really kind of shift the way we communicate. So I'm really... I'm trying to help people take a big step back and recognize when they're being emotionally invested in the communication that it can change the um, opportunities and and really create a better and more strong communication in that way where they're able to take a step back and see what they're really doing. So do you see different in business communications? I know professionally, when I'm talking with a colleague, I might be on my cue a little bit more than I am when I'm talking with my friends and family. So do you see differences in how you coach and how you help them to develop those communications? Or do you have a standard approach? Well, in business, I feel like we look at different elements of how we communicate. It's usually in a team environment where there's different personalities that are kind of always approaching a project or just even the way we you know, address issues. We're a little, usually a little bit more unemotional. There's not as much emotion invested where when we're, our private relationships or our more internal relationships, we may have a higher expectation or more pressure on those kinds of communication. So the only way it really is different is our expectations. You just said the magic word, expectations, because what I see, and and I see it in with you know in our with every communication, we come into it with unrealistic expectations, 
And when we do, we're never going to walk away with what we want from it. Absolutely. I agree that 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 severe attachment to the outcome, you know, puts those expectations, the pressures on ourselves to perform or behave in a certain way. Usually those are our self-sabotaging moments, right? Where we get our, our own way because we're thinking we should know where this is going. We block true unconditional empathy and understanding. When we stay soft and stay open and vulnerable to each other, it can totally change the outcome. Well, I think you have this on your website. You say a true relationship is two imperfect people who are willing to be open, trust each other, and know that they are safe being who they are. Yes. That's a mouthful right there. <laughs> it is. It is. And I love that you pull that up. It's one of my favorite things for people to really take a deep understanding to recognizing there's, there's no such thing as perfection. We shouldn't approach everything from a mastery mindset. You know, even in business, our relationships are always evolving and always changing. Our perspectives are constantly growing. And even our emotional stance of where we stand on some issues change, like what you're talking about with the politics. You know, you may have been voting one direction for so long and all of a sudden things change because of the way we evolve over time. And uh, to stay supple and, and, you know, soft to these new transitions is the human experience. In my mind, it's this opportunity to deepen our connections. Well, I think, you know, one thing that I've noticed is that when we trust each other, communication is a lot easier. But, and, and I'll go into every relationship with a certain level of trust, but, you know, then we get a little sideways, we have a little argument, and maybe I feel like that you didn't give me the benefit of the doubt, and that trust starts to come a little, it gets a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I think that's even the mirror, if you really want to kind of play with the that kind of behavior being mirrored back when we start not trusting ourselves and, and the mirror comes back at us. And I mean mirroring in the sense like you have an argument with somebody and they're telling you what they're hearing, but that's not what you're really trying to convey. We can be mirrored back things that we don't, that don't necessarily reson, resonate with us or doesn't connect to what we're trying to express. And those really cool opportunities are an opportunity to really redefine that space, have a new conversation around some of those belief systems. So what's the first step? I mean, I think we can all, we all know when we're, we, our communication isn't as effective as we want. We're not really expressing ourselves the way that we had hoped to. And when we know that, and if our partner or our spouse or our family members, friends tell us, what's the first step? I think there's two elements to this. If you're the receiver, somebody's telling you you're, they're not hearing or understanding what you're saying, to soften and be open to the idea that it's okay that you're not heard the way you want to be heard. Sometimes we can be so invested in what we're saying and the way we're saying it should be understood because that's just, just who we've always been. You know, there's that stance of, I've never changed, I've never been different, this is who I've always been. But maybe the experience is so different or foreign that the other person's not on the same page as you. So you kind of have to take a giant step back and recognize, okay, either the person I'm communicating with can't hear me because I didn't set the stage or set the tone of where we're going in this conversation. So you know, it could be starting with thoughts in your own mind and thinking you were clear on certain aspects of a conversation. I'm sure we've all been there. You know, when we have these miscommunications where we start 
sharing with someone we care about and we're invested in them getting it. And before we know it, they're, they're deciding or they're in a contrasted belief around that experience. I'm thinking of like just a general everyday fight where you're talking about going somewhere and you're in, in this stance of trying to really help them understand the why you need the things you do in it or why you're wanting to go there. And the other person's like, well, I don't like that place. I don't want to go there. You know, and you've had those kind of confrontations, right? And so really getting a chance to take a step back and saying, well, the reason I would really like to do this is because I really enjoy going to the tropics or being, um, being invested in the direction of things and where they're going and just really understand that some of the, um, the, the conversation could be called, could be cleared up by taking the time to really assess where they are at first before you continue to, to push your agenda or your ideas into the conversation. If you're really invested in going to an experience and you want to help them understand it, you don't want to sell them on the idea, but you want to help them understand where you're coming from. So really bridging the two different, the two different well, places. You know, sometimes I'm talking to someone and I can see them. I can see the wheels turning in their head. They're already thinking about what they're going to say back to me. And so I know that they're not really hearing me because I can, I mean, I can just see them formulating their response and I'm not ever really sure how to handle that. Give me some advice. Right. So if someone is not really hearing you, it, it's a moment where we actually have to pause the conversation. I was actually just working with a client last night who their belief systems are two different. They're, they're constantly arguing about this one specific that he was dressing in a way that was so new to him. He was so uncomfortable in his, in his new attire. He's used to wearing jeans and a t-shirt and she wanted him to dress up a little bit. So this one time out, he, he went the extra mile. He dressed in a way that he knew she had been asking. And the first comment out of her mouth was, what are you wearing? <laughs> now, of course, in her mind, she's going, wow, what are you wearing? Look at you. In her mind, she's like really excited about it. And in his mind, he heard, what are you wearing? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. So what's crazy about this, as we were talking about it, he kept on saying, I feel uncomfortable in this. This is so foreign to me. It feels, I'm not afraid to do it. I'm not insecure about it. I want to expand my experiences, but I was taken back by that and it changed the entire night for him. Of course, it was a horrible night because they, they miscommunicated right off the bat. And instead of saying, okay, wow, that reaction just totally freaked me out a little bit or made me think I did something wrong. Or maybe you don't even want to say that. Maybe like, whoa, I got to re recalibrate because that just made me feel weird. You know, just be open with each other. Be transparent about when these moments happen. Because if she had said, oh my gosh, no, I was just teasing you because you know how we always joke around with each other. It was just me being playful with you. I apologize. I didn't mean to like trigger it or make it feel uncomfortable. It, I just was like so excited that you had done this. It was kind of neat. And, uh, that, that could have changed the night if he just took the moment or if she noticed and he was kind of not being himself and said, Hey, are we okay? You know, sometimes just calling out the discomfort, you know, that little elephant in the room <laughs> can totally change the the direction of the, the evening and the experience and the communication. So really taking those 
great pauses and, and understanding what's going on can totally change it and create a new dialogue in the, in the community or in the conversation that you're having. So those moments I feel like are so important. I call it asking permission, but you're really not asking permission. You're really getting clarification. You're understanding where somebody else is at so that you can create more empathy and compassion for the energy and the emotions that are showing up in the moment. A lot of us will minimize each other or minimize ourselves just to get through. And usually those things are like, I think of it as like a soda bottle, you shake it up and down, eventually it explodes because we minimized ourselves or we minimized someone else and the resentment stories are starting to build up in our minds and it makes it very difficult for us to bond and have a better safe experience for each other. So it's very important to do that. Well, you know, you make a good point, and that is, you know, going back to your your example, if they just would have cleared the air. But a lot of us, we feel like, you know, I'm, I don't want to start a fight. <laughs> I, I don't want to start or a I'm fight. Too sensitive, or she's going to think I'm insecure, or you know, all the stories that pop up. So we just sure. zip it. And yeah. Yeah. You know, learning how to communicate well with our partner, I think, is always an issue because sometimes we're on different wavelengths. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do. I think it's a vulnerability. You know, I think a lot of people talk about being vulnerable about, you know, telling them dark secrets or <laughs> or those kind of uncomfortable vulnerabilities. But I think having courage in the moment to track what's going on in the relationship and having the courage to voice it is the deepest kind of form of uh, vulnerability we can use in relationships, in all of our relationships, to kind of flesh out some of the, you know, uncomfortable spaces that we're that that we are obviously experiencing. We are very good feelers, but we minimize that, and we just create a lot of misconnections and you know a lot of disconnection in the relationship because we don't have those moments where we take advantage of those experiences to to deepen our bond. Well, you know, and I think some of us, we didn't grow up with a lot of communication. I have a client that his parents really, they weren't that engaged in conversation. Oh. And he's, he doesn't know how to have a good conversation. And I've said to him, well, think back, you know, think about some of the best conversations you heard, had, you heard from your family. Well, um, there really weren't any. So when you got somebody that's got to start building, I mean, from basic conversation skills, what's some good advice that you give them? Well, I first want to help you. I want to help kind of the community understand why that even happens. Because a lot of us think, well, you know, this is how I was as a child. And this is the way we behaved. So a lot of our, like you're saying, a lot of our past kind of rolls out to our, to the way we behave in our, our everyday lives. So are we not always evolving to learn by experience. We can't always look back and say, well, this is how my parents were, or how this is my only point of reference. You've had some point in your life, a good conversation with someone where you felt your needs were met. So playing with that can help you understand how to connect to those moments. And to get back to what you asked me is how to really connect when you have bad communication or you're trying to expand your communication some of the most basic things you can approach with is how you feel in the conversation. Do you feel safe and open or are you feeling defensive and shut down? And if you're feeling defensive and shut down, ask yourself, is there, is this a space where I don't feel trusted or I don't feel, I don't feel the trust in the relationship or am I in a space where I feel like 
there's like, I just don't know this person enough to be vulnerable. So I'm kind of putting on a mask, if you will, to protect yourself instead of bridging and, and really taking that giant leap. And like you're even talking about, if you've already an established relationship and the communication style hasn't been healthy from the beginning, but there is a lot of love. And, and I have a lot of clients talk about this. You have great chemistry and great connection, but the communication is very rough and it's a lot of work. The opportunity comes from setting up game plan, like a, a structure to work through. And, you know, hey, when, when I'm feeling unsafe, is it okay if I bring to your attention that I'm not understanding where you're coming from with that? Is it okay? Do I have permission? I'm not picking on you. I'm not pulling you down. I'm not telling you to behave different. I just need more information in order to understand where you're coming from. By having these pre-conversations before fights or before conflict happens is huge because it sets up kind of like the rules for when you're out of connection. And it, it makes it a lot safer for each other to be vulnerable. And it's just a, it's a huge deal breaker or a game changer, not a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker if you don't change it. <laughs> it can break the relationship completely. But so. so for me to be vulnerable, I have to trust that person. I have to feel like, okay, they may not like what I say, but I can say it and they'll hear it. And that's all built on, that's, that's trust. And I think sometimes we're insecure a lot of the time. We do. We have a lot of stories going on in our minds about the way people see us. And I, I always say to my clients that you got to get out of your head about what other people think because they're going to make up their own stories about you anyway. You're never going to be able to control it. So if you're not feeling like you can trust yourself, and know when you feel safe in those relationships or in those experiences, you might be trying to forge alliances with people that you, there's some familiarity of distrust. And so it might not be a healthy place to be vulnerable. And I think you should follow that intuition and follow that instinct because not all relationships we have are strong enough to be able to be vulnerable. And that may be an opportunity to learn the difference between them. Do you, do you feel like that women are more open to vulnerability than men? Is that what you've seen in your practice? Um, I think that there's a difference between the kinds of vulnerability. I think men, the way men express vulnerability comes back from that knight in shining armor behavior. They want to be vulnerable by being a protector and support and nurture the relationship that way, where I feel women are more... I call them the rock because they have to be able to take all the the pressure of a relationship. You know, they have to be everything to everyone. You know, they have to be able to be emotionally supportive, physically supportive, be able to master all the tasks. The vulnerability comes across in different ways for women. We are more doers in that way. And, you know, we, we're allowed, we've had more emotional time to be able to be clear on what we're feeling and when we're feeling it and how we're feeling it. Because we've had years, centuries, lifetimes of, of women role modeling this forever for us. Where men, it's kind of a newer, a more newer expression and their opportunities are still, I have a lot of men who are fearful of being vulnerable because they feel like it's giving up their man card and they have to be tough, right? And it's the, it, that can be a disconnect to the types of vulnerability. There's so, I feel like people think of vulnerability as, telling secrets or 
letting someone know when they're feeling weak. And, and it's not, that's not always vulnerability. There's vulnerability in finances. There's vulnerability in, there's just so many different types of vulnerability. And when we talk about the power of that is recognizing, you know, when you're communicating a need, that can be a vulnerability in itself. So I need you to touch me more often to let me know that, that you're present to me or that you care about me. For men, a lot of times, touch is something that they're avoidant of. They don't feel like they have enough touch in the relationship. They're very stimulated that way. And I think women are too, but I feel like women, have, because of having to do it all, we're very stimulated. You know, we have that always doing and always going and getting. So we're almost looking to rest and, and to, to connect in a more spiritual way. And so I feel like there's this play going on between the two and the vulnerability styles can be very different. So I have not seen, to answer your question directly, is I, I've not seen women necessarily be more vulnerable. I just think they're better at verbalizing their vulnerability. I think I agree with that. And I think to both women and men, we let our ego get in the way sometimes. Oh, yes. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the man card, but, <laughs> but, but women have that too. Oh, and yes, we do. I mean, absolutely. And, and when I see myself really have the most ineffective communications is when my ego sticks its ugly head up and takes over. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think we are supposed to run from our ego. I have a really um, invested belief in the egos there to keep us safe and help protect us. It's when we let the ego run the show. Not necessarily in balance with our ego. So I agree with you. There's definitely moments, even I feel there are times where I'm like, whoa, I was totally invested in being heard there. <laughs> and I have to pull it back and go, wonder where that was coming from. You know, you, you get those wonderful moments to pause and, and really observe. Why was I, why was I so invested? Where was I going with that? Well, you know, it's interesting to me because core values I think, and beliefs really plays into communications. And I can remember, you know, when I raised my two boys, my thing was, you know what? I don't want to hear it from anybody else. Let me hear it from you. You know, be honest in your communications with me. And that was, that's something that I really look for in my communications is I need to feel that that person is being honest with me. And I think that's really one of my core values. Do you see that? I love that. I love that. Yes. I believe that everyone, I, I'm a, I believe everyone has five leading core values and it's, and a lot of the times I see people trying to take on more than those five, but, um, but that's when you start getting confused because you know, there's, you've got, your sense, those five elements tell you a sense of yourself. Those are the ultimate sense of who I am. A lot of people, you know, they ask them, so who are you? Or, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. They'll say, well, I'm a mom. I'm, I'm a, I work on this. I do that. They tell about their doing things versus their being things. And I found that when somebody's not clear on, like for me, like I'd say, well, actually I'm a person who values, empathy, and compassion. So I love to learn by being with people and, ex and, and hearing their stories and how they experience life because I learn so much about them. So for me, connection is one of my core values, you know, and it, it's really a fun way to play with how you see yourself. So if somebody else doesn't like to communicate or, you know, doesn't struggles with that, communication would be difficult for them because it's not one of their leading core values. We have them all, 
but there are certain ones you lead with in your life. So I agree with you. There's definitely that you know those things about yourself. It makes it a lot easier to understand why you get triggered when somebody's not in, in the same page as you or, or following the same script. Pretty intense. It can get intense. And nobody, nobody wants a conversation that turns into a big tug of war. You know, nobody wants to fight it out. I think that that's one of the things that everybody will agree. I don't want to fight. I don't want to get pushed into a corner. I want this to be a good conversation. So when you think about just a few things that you could tell people for healthy communication skills. Before we take a break, I'd love to leave them with some good ideas on what healthy communication skills are. Absolutely. Um, Listening. Listening more than talking is a great way to have strong communication because if you're always telling someone your perspective, you're not going to connect with empathy and understanding if you're not hearing what they're saying. And if you feel like that person is repeating themselves over and over again, Play with mirroring them back and saying, what I hear you saying is, and then let them validate whether they're actually being, whether you're hearing them correctly, that will stop them from repeating the same thing over and over again. It helps them feel seen, supported, and understood. So when you use your words, use them with intention, be transparent and vulnerable with your integrity and allow people to meet you halfway instead of always running to them to tell them what you make up or what you hear about them allow them to share first to break down some of that contrast very crucial to understand somebody else's perspective first listening that that is a great skill for for absolute sure to have and do, when you people ha- start to work on getting healthy is it difficult is it hard. I think we're afraid to do it a lot of times. I feel like people are starting off their lives with trying to like get healthy. They're trying new things, but they can jump into misinterpreted understandings of things and form new behaviors that keep them stuck in a pattern. So I I agree. I think it can be uncomfortable because sometimes that feedback is no, 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 no. (laughs) And you're like, what am I doing wrong? You know? So I think we're, you know, we get lost in some of the details of the story instead of stepping back and recognizing that the story itself isn't important. It's more about the way I feel about the information that's being shared and really transfer the needing to know into needing to know how I feel, understanding your feelings more so. We know you're right. We do get stuck. And I, I look at that every day at the Brain Performance Center. I'll have people come in and I'll ask them, do you ever feel like your brain is stuck? And the, that, people get it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And so our, we get stuck in different ways in our communication patterns. We get stuck in wanting the same answer, even though we really may not. And so creating that mental flexibility, and that goes back to what you said in the beginning, you've got to be open with each other. And we call it different words. I call it mental flexibility, um, ability to change. I'm always telling people, you need more neuroplasticity. And they're like, what's that? It's the break. <laughs> It's the brain's ability to change. So that may be something that you can, if you catch somebody, throw at them. Mm -hmm. I love it. We'll be back after these messages. 
you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Many doctors suffer from cacography or bad handwriting skills, but as a nurse, I can tell you they might need to pay a little more attention to what they write on a patient's chart. During the course of a long shift, oscillating doctors have unintentionally written some pretty funny things on patients' charts. I thought I would share a few of these bloopers with you. One doctor wrote, "The patient has been depressed ever since she began seeing me in 1983." Another doctor indicated that the patient refused an autopsy. One chart said that the patient was numb from her toes down. Another patient apparently stated that she had been constipated for most of her life until 1989 when she got a divorce. And my personal favorite, the patient was in his usual state of good health until his airplane ran out of gas and crashed. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app Too Funny for Words. back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So we're thinking about 2020 and how we're all so ready for it to be over because it's been a challenging year for everybody on a lot of different levels. And that almost puts us into a mindset of win or lose. And a conversation you don't have to win and you don't lose if you're not the dominant speaker so, but we've gotten into that kind of conflict mindset tamara talk to us about that absolutely so i have a totally different approach on conflict i don't see it as a a fight to be right or a fight to be fight to be heard cuz that's usually why people get into conflict they're they're trying to be seen or understood or related to there's this it's that it's not always a fight to be right you know some people feel that that's what usually when we're in the obstacle or the other person in the fight we can feel like oh they're just trying to defend themselves but or they just need to be right it's not necessarily that so that conflict or that intensity of trying to get clear on that can create such intense resistance and like i was sharing with you earlier asking probing questions and repeating someone saying okay so what i'm hearing you say is is a great way to help neutralize some of the intense energy that we experience when we're in conflict and sometimes it's even hard to get yourself in that space because you're feeling prickled or defensive because you're being attacked which is always so much more intense you know even you know, it's great when we're not feeling it but when you're feeling it you're you feeling yourself armor up and protect yourself and it's a natural reaction so there are ways when you're feeling that in that indicator that like I'm armoring up that should be a really cool indication to you to either step back and take a deep breath either pause the conversation completely i use with my couples i'll say just say white dove you know like we need a white dove moment you know take a big pause and create 
some clarity by saying, you know what, let's circle back on this topic because we're both definitely very invested in being heard or seeing each other's perspective in this. And it's definitely not letting either one of us be heard. So maybe we can write out what we're feeling on a piece of paper and then swap them with each other and get a chance to kind of hear what the other person's saying without the interruptions or maybe just the way you share it on the piece of paper, I can hear it better because I'm not hearing the tone or the projections in it and the defensive voice. So there's new, there's fun ways to navigate conflict in that way. But when you do that, you reset, you kind of reset the discussion. You're creating a beautiful space for new opportunities to kind of fest or to, to grow from there. So one thing I always say is conflict is just a misunderstanding with an opportunity to reconnect and build deeper relationships. And what I'm saying there is I'm really, really helping you see that if you pause and recognize that ping that you're feeling is just your investment. It's your, your need to be seen or understood or respected in that moment. And the other person can't hear or see you might just be you needing to hear you better and coming at it with a different approach. So when we write those things out the way we're feeling, we can actually start to hear the other conversation the other person's hearing. It's kind of a fun exercise to start writing out the way you're feeling and you're like, wow, I'm taking all this very personal. I'm really making the fact that, you know, that they gave me that look personal and it takes, it takes away from the conversation. So those moments where you're not being able to be heard is a great way to redirect that. In 2020, you're right, is an intense period because we're all in that everything in our world is changing. So everything in our relationships become intensified because of it. Well, you know, it's interesting because I have a client and and I can see why his his partner is confused because and most of the time he really wants to be heard. But there are times where he doesn't. He does not want to have to command center stage. And it's very confusing to his partner, you know. Um, mixed signals, yeah, yeah. Mixed signals, right. So what advice would you have for someone in that situation? So that one's actually a very easy one to navigate, believe it or not. When someone wants to be heard, all you have to say, if you don't want say somebody wants to be heard, but they don't want input, they don't want somebody else to advise them or tell them what to do. They don't want to be parented, if you will. You can literally say, hey, I just have some things I need to get off my chest and I want to share with you what I'm experiencing. I really don't need input right now because I'm processing it. But if you would just listen and hear me out, I might be able to hear myself better. I really just need that moment. Or if you're in a space where you don't want to speak about how you're feeling about it, but you want them to share with you how they're feeling, just ask, you know, share with me what you're feeling. I don't really want to add to the conversation right now, but I just want to hear how you're feeling so I can get a better understanding of where you're coming from. And later on, maybe I'll circle back and share with you my thoughts, but I really don't want to like be vulnerable with you right now because I'm not feeling like I have clarity to be vulnerable. And that really changes the communication. Well, I think that one of the things that I see with, you know, men and women is women, there are many times, and this definitely applies to me, I just want to vent. And my husband, oh, well, I can fix that. Well, you know, and I don't want you to fix it. Right. I no. just want to vent. And it seems like so there are times I'll have to say four or five times, I don't want you to fix it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that is like, you're saying exactly. That's that man in the white and shining armor. Like, you know, that's that, 
that belief and in the way they feel they contribute to a relationship. And that is a solid truth to the way we men do communicate in a relationship. They want to be the fixers. And I don't think fixing is necessarily always bad, but sometimes you don't want it to be fixed. You're just, you just want to have a little pity party. You want to just be in it for a minute, you know, like I can see there's an opportunity here. Let me just feel it, you know? And sometimes it doesn't even need to be fixed in all honesty. Right. Sometimes you just, you know, you got to talk about it a little bit and, and grieve, process it, grieve, right? Be heard, uh-huh. you know, so let me throw an interesting question at you. So when you've been in a relationship for a long time, things get boring. Um, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> when like I that. am when I am bored, I get into trouble for <laughs> yeah. sure. So when you're feeling bored in or with your relationship, and then you know you feel like you're starting to grow apart, what are some things, some tools, some techniques that you can share with everyone? Absolutely. I think this is true for every relationship that's outside seven years. <laughs> I And I know it sounds silly to put a marker on it, but I've noticed that at the seven-year mark, I think they even used to call it the seven-year itch or something like that. I think they even gave it a term back in the day. But um, it's really fascinating. We get so complacent in our relationships. We can kind of get stuck in this pattern of, you know, she's going to say this or she's going to do that or I'm going to roll my eyes and say, yes, dear, every time she talks. We get in these patterns and these ruts. And so we start believing, you know, that there's that, that we're falling out of love or that we're, you know, we're just not on the same page anymore. Or we'll make up a story that the grass is greener somewhere else and just need new new blood in this life to re-spark me up. But the truth is it's you showing up halfway in your relationship. Every day we should reinstate love. Every single day. I know that sounds very daunting, but to celebrate what's showing up in your life feeds you. And if you can take those, you know, write down on a piece of paper, three things you're grateful for, for your partner in your relationship, before you go to bed, you wake up the next morning feeling so much more invigorated and connected to your partner. And it can change the way you interact with each other. I also love the idea of doing something specific each day, be five minutes, it'd be 20 minutes, it doesn't matter. Back in the day, I think they used to sit down and have coffee or breakfast together before they go off to work, you know? Something that is like ceremonial, that represents your connection, that's heartfelt communication being done at the time. And I know five minutes doesn't seem like like a much time to invest in a relationship, but just those check-in moments, because a lot of people think that they're so busy and they got to be in the doing and, and they don't have any time for this, they've got too much going on, taking that pause to celebrate the support system you have in your life can totally add value to your life and also help you remember how important you are. I feel like when we get in those complacent spaces, we forget how much and how, how valuable we are to the other person. Well, you make a really good point because, you know, the brain, the way the brain works is really interesting to me. Research shows that every day we have three times more positive events than we do negative. Isn't that crazy? But but what does the brain grab hold of? survival, right? Yeah. And what does it remember? It's the negative. And the only way that it's how and what you pay attention to. You've got to change what you're paying attention to. Don't pay attention to the negative. Focus on the positive. Like you said, write down three things that you're grateful for. And 
pay attention to how long you stay there. I mean, are you going to think about that woman that cut you off at the light for 30 minutes? <laughs> yeah, which takes about, I think that they say it's 30 minutes of negative thinking takes four hours away from your productivity in a day. That wow. That's so enough to make it stop. Right. So if you really recognize that stinking thinking is robbing you of quality of life, not just, I mean, think about it for the number of years you have a negative thought and you add up those four hours, you're taking life years off, you know? So really focusing on, it's not just about mindset as much as it is, I call it emotional mindset where you're emotionally invested. Your mind can create stories. Your amygdala gets triggered. You're stuck in a pattern of, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. I got to defend myself. We get really into those patterns. We miss out on all of those things that are happening in front of us because we're in the chase. It's like we're numb to what's really going on in front of us in the moment because we're in the future so far or in the past dwelling about what happened yesterday. Like you were saying, the car wreck that just happened 20 minutes ago, you're still in the car with the car wreck or the car cut off situation not being present to what's going on right in front of you, missing out on, on the joy in your life because you're stuck backwards. So you're absolutely right. It robs you of your, of your great communication styles and your opportunity to deeply connect to someone. And when I think back on some of the, you know, the, the conversations I've had and I never really said what I wanted to say, it's usually because I was upset going into the conversation. I still had that old tape playing in my brain about what happened this morning. Um, and, and even though I can see that, it doesn't always stop me the next time to say, okay, Lee, you have the skills. Don't go back and don't go back and pull out that same old thing. Come on, you can do this. So, you know, you mentioned checking in with yourself, and I think we have to. We have oh, to check yeah. in with ourselves, and we have to call ourselves up. Come on, be accountable. Step up, Lee. Right, and I also think, and this sounds so like you're micromanaging yourself, but I always love thinking about transitional periods. So if I'm getting up and getting ready to go into work, I want to be excited to go to work, or maybe I'm getting up and going to the gym. I want to be productive at the gym. You want to set an intention for that next 30 minutes and be focused on serving yourself and being present to what's going on in the moment versus doing a workout and thinking about all the things you have to do later today. You know, you're not going to be very productive to building muscles if you're distracted in your mind. So it, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, well, we get back what we put in. And when I go to the gym and I put in about 20% effort, that's about what... shows up, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, let me yeah. kind of switch gears on you because I have a family that I'm working with. And it's a blended family. Uh -huh. And they have got some true communication issues. And part of it is just logistical issues. You know, um, one, one family used to communicate in the morning that's like you said you know they had their cup of coffee together and they had breakfast together the other family was more of a, a dinner communication and right. so they feel like their communications are, are really hit or miss and i think honestly with covid 19 with a lot of the school changes a lot of you know people kids going to school at home and and families, parents working from home, you think that that might improve communications, but that's not always what I see. Uh, it makes it, what I've seen is it can make the environment more tense. And with those blended families, they haven't 
maybe been together long enough yet to blend everything, for lack of a better word? Talk to me. So, oh gosh, can I relate to this? Um, so, what my when, when you have two different family dynamics that are coming together to to start forming a new unit. I am huge with having families start off with some form of ceremony or, or rituals. And I don't mean to make it sound religious, but more like, so if one family was a morning communicator and the other one's more of an evening communicator, what can you do to help start forming your own style that supports both? You both are communicating. So there's one thing it's got going really well and you're both putting it around food, which is really a fun bond. So does the morning communicator come down to more of an evening communication style and allow, um, or maybe they try it for a little while and then maybe, th you know, for three months and then they switch to a morning communication style. But a lot of the times I feel like life dictates a lot of the spaces where we get to communicate. If you've got a morning job and you're not able to communicate in the morning, you end up communicating in the evening, but being intentional with making sure you do it, I think is the hardest part because Families are busy. We're all, even with COVID, I think people are busier now than they ever were. They're just busy in the computer versus busy communicating, which is really interesting. And I agree with you. There's been a contrast, you know, everyone being home in the beginning, it was new, it was exciting, and they were investing in trying to have better communication. But out here in the Valley, there has been reports in some towns, one of them, 75% increase in domestic violence. Huge so crazy. And the reason that's happening is more because the communication styles weren't healthy or open. I don't like to say healthy because I think of open communication where there's a space for deeper understanding to be established. So you already have an abusive situation where people are not communicating healthily. They are, or shut, they're communicating in a closed way now are on top of each other, smothering each other with projections and judgments forcing a deeper, more shut down communication. And so when you're in a relationship like that, being close together intensifies that experience versus helping it. And that's a, what I see a lot of people having when they're in already difficult relationships or intense communication styles, their needs aren't being met. It's almost like the perfect opportunity to dedicate to the change if they're both invested, but both people have to be willing or all the components, all the people involved in the communication need to be willing to step in and try new things. And that can be really challenging. So how do you get people to do that? I mean, I get, you know, I'll make that suggestion and I'll get, well, you know, Lee, that's easier than it sounds. And, <laughs> yeah. and I do, I do agree with that, but do does too. it just have to come from the commitment to improve the, the situation or I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just, you know, are there, what I'm always looking for is a humor. I think it's so much better to laugh than cry. Uh, so if oh, you have yeah. any good ideas that can be funny and put some humor into relationships, I would love to hear them. So I think the reason it's hard for, for people to commit to change is because they don't know their why, why they're doing this commitment? Is it for themselves or are they doing it for someone else? Uh, a lot of the times when my couples get together, I'll say, guys can't do it for each other. Even though this is a, a, a you know, a, a community, a family, it has to come from 
I'm gaining something from this, I get a deeper sense of love, a deeper sense of understanding, a deeper sense of connection. Um, I'm getting my needs met. Whatever the why is, that's the rocket fuel that helps you stay loyal and faithful to the relationship because you're, you stay in something as long as you're getting something from it. It can be even negative. Sometimes people stay in bad relationships because even negative reinforcement is better than no reinforcement, right? So we have to be mindful of are we being toxic in our communication or are we doing playful and I do, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I tell people all the time, stay playful with each other. Don't get so invested that you dig your feet in the ground and you're not playful with your communication because the worst thing you can do is become robotic and it becomes numb in your communication. It's just not healthy. So the best way to communicate is have lots of humor, be playful. Now I don't mean passive aggressive, <laughs> not, <laughs> not like, like my example earlier, like, wow, what are you wearing? That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> more like, woo, aren't you sexy? You know, like playing with the way you're communicating versus, you know, that, you know, sometimes I feel like when they, people say, oh, I love banter and like, okay, is it healthy banter? Or are we doing kind of like this, you know, putting each other down banter? It's, it's, it can, it can, you know, cause sometimes humor can go dark. And so we have to be really intentional and careful and loving when we use humor and mindful about, the outcome. Are you trying to support someone and because it feeds you or are you feeling like you're always having to fill their bucket up to make them feel good, leaving you empty and drained? That's not going to work either. So if you're always running around going that, oh, you look so beautiful today. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, like that's not going to feel great, right? <laughs> you don't even feel like she cares that you feel that way. So it's, it's really important to, you know, be mindful of the way you're using your humor and playful behavior, but it always should come from a playful sense. I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's interesting because money seems to be something that people have a hard time talking about. And, it, you know, it's hard to be playful uh, when you talk about how you're spending your money or what you're spending yeah. your money on. And there tends to be so much judgment around money. It's, uh, I mean, I think about the one thing that I've over the years heard people really have the most stress around is their conversations around money. What advice do you have for them? So I always say money is like the third person in the relationship. It's so funny to me because money is very emotional. We're extremely emotional with our money. It's a sense of I, you know, I am safe. I am okay. I am free. You know, there's all different I am's around money. So if you feel like your partner is spending money faster than you can earn it, or then you both can earn it, the feeling of I am not free comes from that, that, that force, right? You start blaming so the communication has to change. You have to look at your different spending styles. Why are you spending the money? Is it money for you about safety, having money to feel safe? Or maybe the other person's style of safety comes from spending money makes me feel good, makes me feel um, abundant. And, and so you can't minimize either one. You have to just know the different personalities behind the way you express your money. And so knowing that about each other, I was married to a man who likes to spend money. That made him feel meaningful and connected. For me, saving money was my language. I needed money to feel safe. So I wouldn't go out and splurge my last few dollars on a meal because I'd be like, ah, <laughs> it put me in a tailspin. 
So it was just learning our different money styles made a huge difference. Once I understood that, I could understand why we had struggles with money. It was very clear. So playing with that, recognizing, you know, I definitely, money for me is about safety and money for someone else may be about, you know, freedom. So mm-hmm. it's really understanding the difference. Well, you know, in the last few minutes that we have left, if there were, let's say, I don't know, three takeaways that you would want people to, to walk away from this with, what would they be? Well, my, my first thing is to say, know your truth. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier about ethics, morals, and values. Knowing a, a sense of yourself before you start trying to control your outer world or other parts of your life. Because if you, if you are always kind of like trying to navigate the sense of yourself, everything outside of you is always going to be changing. It's going to always be hard to hold on to relationships and money because your, your, your inner compass is kind of going sideways. So really being mindful of that to be truth, to be truthful. Well, it's, uh, I always say it's truth, transparency, and support. So to be, tr- to be in your truth is to know that part of yourself, to be transparent, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and real, to be in your integrity is really all about that transparency, that vulnerability to be courageously vulnerable and support comes down to knowing how to it's about discernment, putting your, doing where you end and somebody else begins and not letting it derail you. So how to be a good giver of support and how to be a good receiver of support and really knowing the difference between that. Because a lot of the times we will put ourselves out there and, and want support and there's no one there. <laughs> and that can be very scary. And sometimes we'll do so much for others and not get anything back. And that's important to recognize. Where do you end and somebody else begin? And that can be very scary, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, either way, it cannot serve you well. You have been giving us so much information. And if people want to find you online, I know that you have a website, and that is www.tamara, T-A-M-R-A, Blankenship, B-L-A-N-K-E-N-S-H-I-P.com. Are there any other places where people might find you that are looking? Absolutely. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on YouTube. You just have to type in Soul Fire Igniter, and you'll be able to track me down. That's awesome. (laughs) And if somebody just has a question uh, based on something they heard today, if they reach out to you on Instagram or... Or they can... They can email me directly. I'd be more than happy to support them. It's Tamara at TamaraBlankenship.com. Again, that's Tamara, T-A-M-R-A, at TamaraBlankenship.com. Well, that's a very generous offer, and I appreciate that very much because I think that we all need to focus on our communication, and we need to think about not just what we say, but how we say it, but how are people going to react to it, yeah. you know? And we, we need to really try to put some understanding out there. If I know somebody's going to react negatively, then I feel like it's my responsibility to figure out another way to save it. Yes. Um, Make it safe, absolutely. And not to run from conflict. Conflict is something that's a new opportunity. I like that. I think those are great words to end on. Conflict is a new opportunity. And I think my one takeaway from everything is, is that you've just got to be open and you've got to be, you've got to be vulnerable. 
and trust. Yes. <laughs>